morning, Solace Church. How are you guys doing today? Doing good? All right. Hey, thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you for making church a priority for you and your family. I'm glad you could be here today. To you guys that are watching online, glad you could watch online, and we're looking forward to when you're here with us live and in person. Well, hey, I'm not Pastor Matt. My name is Jason, and I'm the operations director here. Pastor Matt's out on a a well-deserved vacation, and somehow I talked him into letting me fill in. So come to church in the summer, you get what you get, right? So that's what you get. Hey, we're going to continue this series today called This Is My Story. And what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at the story of Jeff and Tanya Jackson. And let me just set this up a little bit for you to start with. Um, One of the big pieces of vision that we have here at Solace in the next year or so, we are going to build an orphanage in um, Ivory Coast, Africa, which is Western Africa. And uh, we, we sold our old building last year. We've got money in the bank. We're working on, we've got a team working on plans. We're sending a team there this summer to do some of the initial whatever you have to do to get an orphanage built in Africa. I don't know. I'm not part of that team and kind of glad. So um, they're, gonna, they're working on that. But Jeff and Tanya are our missionaries that they live here right now. They are going to actually be moving to Africa to run our orphanage. So what we're going to look at this morning is part of their story And then once we watch their story via video, I'm going to come back and share with you a little bit about how their story intersects with your story. So let's go ahead and watch this together, and then we'll talk again in a few minutes. Go ahead, guys. Uh, We're Jeff and Tanya Jackson. We've been married 19 years today. We have four kids between us. We didn't have any together. We started attending Solace almost from the beginning. Uh, Church was probably three months old when we started. I've actually never been a member of a church till Solace Church we became members. We uh, had a guest speaker one night, mm-hmm. and it was um, Mike Cousineau, and at that time he was with the Hannah Project, and he came and told his testimony of, you know, being there and um, being taken to be executed and how he escaped and you know, I was just horrified at his his story of, you know, almost, I mean, literally dodging bullets to save his own life. And we left church that night, and Jeff's like, I have to go. And I said, I said are you crazy? I said, we, no, no, you cannot go. And... I thought about it a couple of days, and uh, I came home and told her, I said, you know, I, we need to I go need talk to, to Matt. <laughs> We're going to Matt's house. I've already texted him. And so we went to Matt's house, and, and I told him, I said, you know, I've been thinking really hard, and, and I think I want to go on this trip to Africa. That evening, Matt opened his heart up and told me, you know, about someday. Uh, wanted to open, or- you know, his heart was to open an orphanage. He said, "I don't really know where, you know, but but uh, I, in my heart, I feel I need to open. You know, the church needs to open an orphanage." And I remember just thinking, "Man, that would," and I have to think about that. But uh, I, I think that would be pretty neat. I said, <clears throat> "I'm not going to Africa. Yeah. I have kids." I can't leave my, you know, I can't, I can't leave my kids behind, and I can't drag them to the other side of the world, you know, at at their age. And so, I, you know, kind of joking, I said, okay, well, you can go, and I'll see you once a year, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I went ahead and signed up the next year. So went on that first trip, 
and uh, man, it, it it completely changed my life. Uh, just uh, everything about it. I mean, it, it was a humbling experience. I I never realized how spoiled and blessed we are here till I spent just two weeks there. I mean, it seemed like I was there way longer than that, but in two weeks, uh, I I learned a lot about life period especially myself I knew I knew from the get go after that first trip that this was my calling I, I've never felt a stronger calling in my life to anything but I also knew that it couldn't just be my calling it had to be our calling when we got to the airport Tony's first year I remember uh, it's unlike any airport <laughs> anywhere it's uh, if that's what you can call it we uh, of course we landed and went through all the security and, and it's quite an ordeal we got out to the parking lot and when you get in the par- parking lot you immediately realize you're in a different world you're, you're in a third world country and uh, I just cried all the way from the airport mm-hmm. to the mission house where we were going to spend the night and Jeff told me he said there's he told me later, he said, I didn't think you were going to make it. <laughs> she looked at me in the van. We're driving said, to uh, what did I do? The SIL what I house, here? the house we stay at the first and last night of each trip. And, and I look over and she's crying. She's like, I can't do this. I'm, I'm thinking the whole time, man, this is, uh, <laughs> what am we I just do got with started. Her? We're not even one day <laughs> in. And I, and I told her, I said, you know, just, just wait. You know, and the bad part is that where we were at was the nicest place we were going to be in this whole trip. I'm thinking, man, if she can't do this, wait till I get her out in, in the bush, you know, out <laughs> in the villages. Uh, I mean, the whole time I'm panicking, thinking, you know, I'm going to have to do this orphanage by myself. She's never going to move to Africa. Local pastors brought three kids, two kids, I two or three kids three. Uh, up that they had actually saved they were orphans and they actually were saved they were fixing to be sold into slavery probably it was when Tanya first thought man you know we really do need to do this this, this needs to happen you know there there really is a need uh, we can make a difference the next year uh, we actually got to go on a trip to Tonda where on the property where the orphanage is going to be built. The day before we left to come back home, Jeff and Shad and I kind of walked out into the corner of the property where the orphanage will be built and just kind of took some string and sticks and just kind of mapped out what we thought. And uh, just standing there, I felt like God was telling me that I was going to be put there to be someone's mom. And it doesn't seem like much to me, but everybody deserves to have a mom that loves them and cares about them. And I can do that. I can do that. So uh, that was in 2014. So we had six years of me resisting pretty much and just... But when we came back from Tonda, the Tonda trip, I told Jeff, I said, now I'm ready to go. One Sunday, and I don't remember when it was, 
uh, Matt makes his rounds each Sunday and stops and talks and shakes people's hands. And, and I remember him sitting right over there. We're talking and uh, uh, just talking about how things were going. And, and, and you know, Matt pretty much told us, you know, be ready. You know, Satan, we're getting close. This thing's getting real. We'd start talking. I think we'd had our first meeting maybe, but it, it was becoming a reality. Matt, I remember Matt telling us, you know, Satan will attack, you know, he's not going to want this to happen, the attacks will start. I told him, I said, you know, I just don't, I don't feel like we're, we're being attacked, I said, and I'm really scared of when it happens, because I know it's going to happen, I mean, I was raised in church, I know it's going to happen, and uh, in July of 2015, both of my kids moved to Edmond. Uh, my daughter went into grad school, and Justin, his girlfriend, was there, and so he moved up there with his sister, and he got him a job. And on August the 30th, he text he texted me about 11 o'clock one night that night and said, "I think I'm going to have to go to the hospital." So I texted him back, and I was like, "Why? What's wrong?" And he said, "I just I just don't feel right." So he goes to the OU Medical Center in Edmond because it's closest to his house. Um, my daughter and Justin's girlfriend pretty much have to carry him to the car because his legs, he has no, his legs are dead. He has no control over his legs, can't feel anything. And um, they get him to the hospital. They admit him a little after midnight and run a bunch of tests and pretty much send him home telling him he's fine. They got him admitted almost right away and um, did blood work. And 45 minutes later, the ER doctor comes in and says, um, we're going to have to send you to the main hospital. He said, your platelet count is 12,000. And I said, okay, what does that mean? And he said, well, normal is 150,000 to 400,000. And his are 12. I said, I don't, I still don't understand what does that mean. And he said, platelets are what causes your blood to clot. If he were to fall and hit his head, he would bleed to death internally because there's nothing to clot his blood. There's not enough platelets to clot the blood. He said, I suspect that he has a, a disease known as ITP, which is an autoimmune blood disorder. I came back up. I didn't stop and wash my hands at the station like you're supposed to. I just went straight to his room and I walk in and Jeff's standing there and he's crying and Kelsey's crying and Justin's crying. There's a doctor standing there and I look at him and I was like, what's wrong? And Jeff said, it's bad. It's leukemia. I instantly just fell apart, you know, because that's such a big, scary word. I left the room. So Justin didn't see me fall apart. I tried so hard to stay strong for him. But uh, we left the room, and there was uh, another doctor that was sitting at the desk. I asked him, I said, so what can you tell me about this? He said, well, originally we thought it was leukemia. He said, but it's lymphoma. And I said, that's cancer. 
And he said, yeah. one chromosome test that the doctor said would take longer to come back that um, it will detect one in 10,000 one diseased cell in 10,000 cells so it's very intricate and um, on May the 3rd Justin got a phone call and said that that came back clean as well so at this point he is cancer free Satan didn't really attack Jeff and I. He went after our kids. Because our kids are my weak, my weakest spot. We were prepared for our attacks. I mean, just wasn't expecting Satan to attack your kids, your babies. I mean, wasn't expecting that at all. I was expecting, I, I was ready for my battles. Uh, I was ready to do battle, you know, bring whatever, and then kind of hit below the belt. Man takes the wind out of you for sure Crazy. um one of my family members i can't remember which one it was i guess probably the second or third day that we were in the hospital in oklahoma city said you know you're not going to africa now right and i just looked at him and i said i'm still gonna go i just you know i'll delay it a little bit if i have to but you know yes i'm i have to go you know, I just, I can't explain it to you that you'll understand it, but I feel like that that's where I'm supposed to be. I was at work one day, and one of the guys I work with made a comment, you know, uh, Justin was back up for another round of chemo. Uh, him and Tony was back up in the city, and and uh, it, somebody asked me, I guess you've canceled your plans. I said, cancel what plans? He says, you're Africa. Good to orphanages. No. He says, well, you know, your, your son's sick. I said, my son's sick right now, but he's going to beat this. I mean, I actually drove straight up here to the church and went to Matt and said, hey, do, do you got a second? He said, sure. So we went in and I told him, I said, uh, we, need, we need to get this thing going. He said, get what going? I said, the orphanage. I mean, we, you know, we need to continue on the path. I think at that time we'd had one meeting. He said, well, he says, I'll be honest, I kind of stopped, you know, when this happened to Justin, kind of stopped, uh, you know, wasn't sure what was going to happen. I said, no, we, we need to carry on. And uh, uh, he, Satan's not going to win this battle. Yeah. There, there's too many lives to be changed. Uh, too many. Uh, it, it's There's just a crazy need. And, and uh, I've known for many years, i Unfortunately, God didn't give me a whole lot of talents, but, but working with kids and impacting kids, adults don't really like me too much or listen <laughs> to me, but kids do. Uh, I knew this was my calling. Yeah. It's getting real close to reality.
That's a good story, isn't it? That, that's the kind of story that you go and tell people. It's the kind that we, we make videos about and we put it up on the big screens at church. And when it comes out later this week, you'll share it on your Facebook page. And if you have friends or relatives that miss church today, you'll tell them about it because it was just so good. It was just the kind of story you want to celebrate. Can I let you in on a little secret? If something happened with the Jacksons where they couldn't go to Africa, something else that kept them from going, and Pastor Matt came to me and said, Jason, they can't go, but we still need to have our plans go on. I need you to go over there and run that orphanage for the first year, and I'll triple your salary. That would be an easy no for me. No, no, absolutely not. Why is that? I was thinking that through because I thought their story, the story of, of their call, their, their, their passion for, for these kids in Africa, and they, they fight through Justin having cancer and all the fear that goes along with that. They fight through all that, and it's such a good story that we're here watching on these screens, and we're, we're, we're clapping and we're celebrating. And then I look at it and say, if I process it through my own filter and say, well, if it was me, if, if their story needed to be my story and I was going to get compensated great for it, no. No way. Why is that? Here's why. Because it's their story. It's not mine. And it's not yours. It's theirs. And there's a big difference between theirs and yours and mine. They're all individual. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered about your own life? If you're telling a story with your own life that would be good enough to put up on the the big screen at church? I imagine all of us have thought through that on one level or another before. And let's be honest. When we celebrate stories like this together publicly, doesn't it put just a little bit of pressure on the rest of us? Like in in a good way, but doesn't it put just a little bit of pressure on the rest of us to somehow measure up and maybe even emulate the same kind of story. I mean, I've, I've felt that pressure before. I, I've, I've been in that role where I've seen something celebrated, and I wanted to emulate that because those people were kind of propped up as a hero, and I thought, oh, I'd like to be like that, and I, I'd like to be thought of that way. But here's the question you've got to ask yourself. Whoever said that what we celebrate today is the only thing that can ever be celebrated? Nobody said that. Nobody is saying that today. There's nobody at Solace Church that's saying the only good story you can tell with your life is go to Africa as a missionary. That is not even close to what we're saying. What we're saying is that's a great story, but your story might look a little different. Let me, let me illustrate this by telling you part of my story. I've been doing ministry like this full-time as my job for almost 20 years now. And the first 10 years that I was... In that, I was at a church in Pennsylvania called Freedom Valley Church. And in a lot of ways, it was like solace. One of the ways it was alike was at Freedom Valley, we told stories and we celebrated stories as well. Now, where we were celebrating today, Jeff and Tanya feeling this passion and direction given by God to go to Africa, most of the stories that we celebrated at Freedom Valley Church were stories of church planting. Church planting, if you don't know, is where somebody kind of feels directed by God to go out from their current church and start a new church. It's all about, you know, multiplying churches, and it's, it's a great thing. Those were the kind of stories that we would celebrate at Freedom Valley Church. 
And for the first seven or eight years that I was there working in that environment and working at that church, it really didn't faze me. I didn't, I didn't feel this like thing in me that said, I got to go out and do that too. I just, I felt fine where I was. I was serving in, I mean, over those eight years, I served in a lot of different roles, including uh, I was, I served as a coach to some of the people that were going out to start the new churches. So I had all these different roles at the church and I never really felt a lot of pressure to go out and start a new church myself, even though that was the stories we were always uh, celebrating. But at some point that changed for me. I don't remember exactly when it was, but at some point, I get this, this is big. At some point I, I began to believe a lie. I began to believe that the only thing I could probably do with my life that was gonna be worth celebrating, at least in that culture, was me going out and starting a new church. Now, it wasn't true. Nobody told me that. Nobody came to me and put their arm around me and said, son, if you want to be anybody around here, you got to go, you got to start your own church. Nobody said that. It was just me looking at the things we were celebrating, and I was kind of inferring that that must be the most important thing. That must be what I need to do with my life. Nobody told me that, but it was what I thought. I began to believe that, and I want to make sure that you don't begin to believe that here this morning. I, want, I don't want you to leave here saying, that was a great story that we celebrated today at Solace Church, and for my life to matter, I have to do the same thing. It's not true. You don't have to do the same thing as far as going to Africa. I don't want you to pick that up this morning. I don't want you to feel, I don't want you to believe that lie. And even worse than that, I think, would be, if you walked out of here believing that once upon a time, like way past tense, God directed you to do something like that or something big and scary, and you didn't do it, and you feel like you just missed it. I've talked to so many people like this where they say, well, God called me to do this at one point, but I didn't do it, and now I missed it. And so they feel like all they can do is just exist. Anybody ever felt like that? Like all you can do is just exist because you missed the calling? You missed the direction that God gave you? If that's you, I want you to know this morning, that's a lie. God will give you all kinds of chances to do, to do great things, to tell great stories with your life. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. When I was in college, I worked for Staples, the office superstore. Yeah, we've got that. You know, you know that store? None of you got that. Okay, so I worked at Staples, and I had this manager named John Cook. He was probably in his mid-40s, and his entire adult life, John had worked in retail stores. It wasn't always Staples, but it was different retail chains. He had always been in that line of work. The thing about John was he hated retail, passionately hated it. So he hated his job, obviously, at Staples. He was the operations manager there at that store that I worked at. Hated his job. I I thought John hated everything. He just struck me as that kind of guy that just hates everything. Until one day, this person shows up with this computer. This guy comes in lugging this big... Now, this is like the mid-90s. So he's lugging this big tower computer that weighs like 80 pounds and plops it up on the counter. And he says, he says... Uh, do you all fix, actually, he didn't say do you all fix computers. We were in Pennsylvania. He said, do you fix computers? And uh, so I said, I said, no, we don't. 
I said, so I started to tell him, you know, you can, take, you can take it across the street to this other store. I think they do computer repair over there. And John overheard the conversation, and he came over, and he said, hey, technically we don't do computer repair, but I'm pretty good with computers, so if you want to leave it, I'll take a look at it for you, and I bet I can fix it. Surprisingly, this guy left it. He said, okay, t- take a crack at it. So the guy left his computer, left, said he was going to come back later. And John kind of clears off, we were up at the copy and print center up at the front of the store. John clears off this table, puts the computer there, breaks out his little screwdriver set and starts working on it. And I'm watching him go and it's like magic. Like he transforms into this different person and he's working on this and taking it all apart. And he looks up at me at one point and I'm looking right in his eyes and, and his eyes that used to be just dead and hopeless, they're, they're sparkling And he looks at me, and I'll never forget his words. He said, man, I was born to do this. I was born to do this. He loved working on these computers. To which I said, then what are you doing here? You know, at Staples, your job is to make sure the college kids don't steal money out of the drawer. Why are you here? And he didn't really have a good answer. But as I look back on it, I know the reason he was still there. It was fear. He was afraid of what it might mean to take a step from where he had always been to take a step into where he wanted to be. Even though he knew he was so passionate about it and he loved it. And when he did it, it turned him into a different person that could say, man, I was born to do this. He was still afraid. little side note here too. Do you think Jeff and Tanya Jackson are a little bit afraid going to Africa? I'm Going from Tulsa, Oklahoma to Tonda, Ivory Coast, Africa is a pretty big move, especially when you've got your son here that just overcame cancer and you're like thinking, I don't know, I don't know if I want to leave. Is that scary? Yes. Yes, absolutely, it's scary. But scary doesn't mean impossible. I want you to get that this morning. Scary does not mean impossible. Do you ever hear yourself saying this phrase, everything happens for a reason? You ever hear yourself saying that? Or do you ever hear other people say it maybe? We say that a lot when we wanted something to happen and it didn't happen and we're kind of bummed that it didn't happen, but we want to make ourselves feel okay about it. So we say everything happened for a reason. I hate when people say it, to be honest. It's actually a pet peeve of mine that everything happens for a reason. Here's why. Because I feel like when you say everything happens for a reason, the reason you're talking about is fear. I think the real reason is fear. But when you say everything happens for a reason, what you want it to mean is there's some cosmic force out there that causes all these things to go away and you've got no control over it. And it's it's not my fault, man. Everything happens for a reason. Well, while it's true, God is in control. It's also true that God gave us free will, isn't it? So we are much more in control of our day-to-day lives than sometimes we want to take responsibility for. So I would tell you, you are in control, just like John Cook my store manager at Staples, he was in control of what he did, whether he stayed in retail. Just like that, you are in control of what you choose to do with your life and the path you choose to go down. Even more than that, I think you've got a responsibility to steward that well. God's given you some kind of passion in your life, and I think you've got a responsibility to steward that. It's just like John Cook. God gave him this passion for doing computer work. And he set it aside and said, now I'll do the work I hate because it's easy and it's safe and it doesn't scare me, even though it sucks the life out of me. So there's a lot of us that aren't following our passions. We look at the Jackson story and we celebrate it because they're following their passions. 
but a lot of us aren't. And I think there's three main reasons. This is, this is drastically oversimplifying it, I know, but I think there's three main reasons that we're not following our passions. One is you might not know what your passions are. You, honestly, you, you may legitimately not know what you want to do with your life or how God's wired you or how God's made you. And there's a lot that goes into that discovery process. But let me, let me walk you through something real quick that might help. Engage your brain with me here for a minute. If you could do, if money was no object. Money was no object. You had plenty of money. You're independently wealthy. And you could do anything you wanted. What would you spend the majority of your time doing? Think about that. And I'm not talking about recreation. And I'm not talking about entertainment. I know a bunch of you right now are looking, in your mind you see a Corona commercial, don't you? Sitting on the beach. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about being, just, you know, enjoying life. Enjoying life's great, but I'm talking about, here's a better way to say it. What would be your job if you could figure out how to get paid for it? What would be your job if you could figure out how to get paid for it and you could dictate that? If you've got that in your mind right now, you've got a pretty decent idea about what your passion is. Now, you got to be a little bit realistic. If you're five foot two and 110 pounds, you're not going to be like the next all-pro offensive guard in the NFL. It's, just, it's not in the cards, okay? That's okay, because God made you to do something else. So maybe you haven't identified your passion yet. Some people are in that boat, maybe, maybe a lot, especially if you're on the younger side. That's okay. The second group of people that I would see that aren't following their passion, and it's probably the biggest group, are the the people that are afraid to take the next step. It's the John Cooks of this world who say, I I see what I'd like to do, but it would be awfully scary to take a step there. And I think most of us live, or many of us live in that world, and that's where we're actually going to spend some more time talking about today. But then there's also this third group of people that have identified what they'd like to do with their life, and they may have taken a step or two toward it, but as, as they got closer they start to see like, oh man, that's going to take a lot of work. That's going to be, I mean, that's going to take a ton for me to sustain that life. So they step back and they say, I'm not sure I'm ready to do the work. There's a clinical term for that. I looked it up. It's called laziness. <laughs> and you may suffer from it. And there's, there's also a cure. It's called getting up off your end and doing something. Okay, that, that's it. You've heard the saying, ain't nothing to it but to do it. It's true. Just get up and do it. Last time I'll be allowed to speak here. I know it. <laughs> Let me, I want to share a couple, a couple thoughts with you from some of my favorite writers. One is from Dan Miller, and I think it's going to be on the screen here. Dan Miller said, Given the amount of time we spend working, failure to find meaningful, significant work is not just a minor misstep in living out God's plan. It's a deeper kind of failure that can make each day feel like living death. Can you relate? I hope the answer is no, but I think some of you probably can. One more. Kenneth Boa said, Why do you get out of bed in the morning? What is your life purpose? Few people can articulate a clear purpose statement for their lives. It's ironic that people tend to put more effort into planning a two-week vacation than they do thinking about the destiny of their earthly journey. Think about the weight of that for a minute. It's ironic that people tend to put more effort into planning a two-week vacation than they do thinking about the destiny of their earthly journey. Look, just like the Jacksons, whose story we saw, just like John Cook, who was my manager at Staples, and by the way, just like every character in the Bible, every one of us 
Every one of them is telling a story with their life. And you're telling a story with your life. And let me tell you this, something this morning. You have got what it takes to, to tell a story with your life that's worth celebrating. You don't have to sit back here and say, well, we can only celebrate their story. I don't have much of a story. The only reason you don't have much of a story is because you haven't, you haven't told it yet. But you can. And what's stopping you? Well, we talked about what's stopping you. Either you don't know what story you want to tell, or you're afraid to take the next step, or maybe you're just lazy. It could be any of those. And here's what you need to know about your story. This is true of every story. Every story has a past, present, and future. And most of us get stuck in the past. Most of us get stuck in the past. John Cook wants to be a computer tech, but he can't because he's only ever worked in retail, and it would be really scary to step over out of what he doesn't know, right? Or me, I want to speak into the lives of, of young church planters because I've done it, and I know how hard it is, but... When I did it, it didn't go so well. I failed. So who would listen to me? Or you might be at the spot where you say, I want to be the very best parent my kids could ever imagine. But I didn't have good parents. They didn't model it well for me, so how could I ever be a good parent? What's the common theme of all those statements? They're all garbage. They're all lies. They're all cop-outs. We're going to talk this morning about a guy in the Bible by the name of Saul who had a past. In fact, Saul had a nasty past. And if you just judged Saul based on his past, he would have absolutely no business doing anything for the cause of Jesus Christ. But thank God that we don't judge people by their past, and God doesn't judge people by their past It's more about the present and the future. So let's look uh, into the book of Acts here. I'm going to set this up for you for the scripture we're going to read in a minute. What's going on in the book of Acts is we're going to pick it up with an apostle named Stephen. Stephen was one of the early apostles. He preached that Jesus was the only way to forgiveness of your sin. And Stephen riled a lot of people up. He He riled a lot of religious leaders up. Um, he uh, had, at the point where we're going to read in the story, he had just finished up a rather inflammatory speech where he told all the present-day religious leaders that they were stiff-necked, that they uh, never made room for the Holy Spirit in their lives, and furthermore, every prophet God ever sent all through history, they killed all of them. So these guys were not happy with what Stephen was saying. He was, he was making a speech that was accusing them of not being very, very right. So we're going to pick it up here with Stephen's, or the, right after Stephen finished his speech and some angry people. So Acts 7.54 is where we're going to pick it up. When the members of the Sanhedrin, those are the religious leaders that Stephen was talking to, when they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. As they covered their ears and yelling at the top of the voice, their voices, they all rushed at him, dragging him out in the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said all this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of them killing him. Okay, that takes us to the beginning of chapter 8. 
Chapter 8 talks about some other things that some other apostles were doing in the book of Acts. So we're going to pick it back up in chapter 9, where the Bible picks back up with Saul's story. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, those were followers of Jesus, they called them the way back then, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul were speechless. They heard a sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. Okay, so we read all this to see that this guy Saul had what you could call a mid-course correction. He was going one way. He had an experience with Jesus. He turned around the other way. A lot of you have had that experience probably. And if you know anything, if you've read the Bible, you know that Saul went on to change his name to Paul. And he became the most prolific missionary and church planner we've ever known. He, he probably spread the, the gospel in the, in the church of, of Jesus further out than, than anybody ever has. Now don't miss this. All those things that Paul, who was Saul, all those things Paul is so famous for and all the great things that we celebrate, he did after he made that correction. Not before. He did that after he made that correction to his life. You know what that tells me? You're not going to like this. But this tells me that your past is no excuse for what you don't do with your future. Get that inside of you. Your past is no excuse for what you don't do with your future because right now you've got as much of a clean slate as anybody else. You can go anywhere you want. You're not too old. You haven't had too many failures. The truth is you either are or you are not going to follow the passion that God's placed in your heart. The truth is you either are or you are not going to tell a story worth celebrating with your life. Look, the reason that we celebrate Jeff and Tanya's story today here on these screens is not because they're taking a long trip. It's not because they're leaving Tulsa and going to Africa. We're not even necessarily celebrating it because they just came through a a season of attack where they overcame cancer with Justin. I mean, that's awesome, but that's not the real reason we're celebrating this story. We're celebrating the story because they're doing all that despite their fear. They're going after their God-given passion that's inside of them despite how scary it is. Look, they don't know how it's going to end up. Let's not pretend here. Jeff and Tanya don't know what it's going to look like five years from now in in Tonda, Africa. I don't know either. 
They can't see the end, and that's okay, because what they can do is they can identify their next step. Their next step is to go, and they're going to take their next step. That's what we're celebrating today. And put it like this. A couple weeks ago, I got to spend some time with Alex Amaya, who's the pastor at a church at Battle Creek in Broken Arrow. Big church, like 8,000 people. I mean, this guy, is, he's a high-level leader. So he's the kind of person where when I sat with him, I didn't speak. I just listened. I just wanted to learn from him. And he said all kinds of great things that day. But one thing that really came out and I wrote down was he was talking about how the, just how they do things at their church. And he said, hey, when we're, when we're trying something new at our church or we're going down a road we haven't gone down before, we can never know what it's going to look like at the end of the road. But we can, we can drive as far as the headlights will take us. Isn't that a good analogy? We can go as far as the headlights will take us. And that's how your life ought to be. Go as far as, as, far as you can see. Take those steps. Do you know the, the group of people that my heart hurts the most for in this whole world? And you're probably thinking, yeah, homeless people or widows or orphans. Yes, them, but, but even more, even more than them. And this has everything to do with how God's wired me and, and the passions he's given me. The group of people in this world that I hurt the most for are people that I can look at them and say, man, you are just not doing much with your life at all. You're just existing. And let me, let me define that a little bit for you. You can have a good job, you can have a nice family, and you can make plenty of money and still be doing nothing with your life. If you are not going down the path that's taking you toward your God-given passion, I'm going to say you're, you're not doing a whole lot with your life. And there may be reasons for that, which we already talked about. You know, I've become very aware. I'm in, into my 40s now. And I've become very aware that I can get by just fine with minimal effort. I can come to work here. I can do my responsibilities that I'm responsible for here at the church. And I get paid and, you know, I make enough money. Our family's okay. And that could be my life. But that can't be my life. I am just not wired like that. I can't, I can't do good enough. I can't do get by. That's just not me. And I don't want that to be you. I, I'm the kind of person where... I've got to drink the Kool-Aid. I've got to be all in if I'm going to do something. And I'll tell you, if you haven't drunk the Kool-Aid on some cause or for some goal or for some passion that's inside of your heart, I'm hurting for you this morning. Even more than that, I think God's hurting for you because he's looking and he's saying, man, I made you to be this or I made you to be this or I made you to do this. And you're just not there. I think there's no question that you have the potential to tell a story with your life that's worth celebrating. I think the question is, are you going to take the steps that are necessary to get you there and tell that story? And I think that's the question you have to wrestle with going out from here today. Let's pray. I want to give you a chance to respond to this. If you wouldn't mind just bowing your heads and closing your eyes for a minute with me. Father, thank you for each person here. Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solidchurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible as you listen to this message today that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast. 